Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is On Her Turf with my co-host, MJ Acosta-Ruiz. I'm Lindsay Zarniak. So this is the podcast about connection and specifically women. We are talking on this podcast to various women who have made a difference, who have made an impact, women who have motivated others to be the very best versions of themselves. I can say my friend MJ is one of those women. MJ, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Other than like just always being sore, do you, are you just sore all the time? I try to keep up with like our athletic theme right around our podcast. And every time I work out, it just doesn't go well for me. So well, like, like what kind of workouts are you sore doing? This morning? Are you lifting things you shouldn't be lifting? Or are you, what are you doing? Like deadlifts and stuff. And I'm not like a power lifter type of person, but at this point, well into my thirties, closer to 40, my body just doesn't react the way that it did. And it reminded me because I know we're talking NWSL today and I had one Mm -hmm. experience in the pro, somewhat pro soccer space, Lindsay. And I was teamed up with Shannon, Shannon McMillan casually. Thank God she was there. It was like a celebrity media game and I couldn't move for four days after that. (laughs) And that's how I feel working yourself too hard. I've adopted doing the most. the 20 minute routine, right? So I have Ooh. made it okay with myself that if I find only 20 to 30 minutes a day to run, to work out, to do whatever, that that's okay. So I'm planning on in the new year addressing more of the deadlift situation, which is what I definitely need to do. So today, yes, we are talking NWSL. I want to hear more about that experience, by the way. Um, and this is it was like be a, a celebrity show. media game. It wasn't that intense, but then I felt pressure because there was a literal World Cup champion on my team. Right. So I was like, well, then <laughs> I guess I should stretch. I thought we were just going to like run out and like wave to people. And they're like, no, you're playing a whole game. NWSL. Here's the deal. When the 2021 NWSL season, obviously it was noteworthy for all the, the soccer that was played. Right. But it also saw players really come together to talk about issues that they've experienced in the league. So things like sexual abuse to racism to working conditions and much, much more. It's one of those kind of catalyst points in a year where you realize um, there's so much more going on than than you even possibly new. And I love that these women have taken sort of the authority to say, okay, listen, the the culture of silence that may or may not have been around us is over now. And we're going to start speaking up. And this is what you're hearing. We've seen that shift right across mm-hmm. the board, not just in the sports world, but all around as, as women really start to, to speak their truth into power. And I think no better example than um, the women of the NWSL. And this season has been heavy it's been heavy. It's been on the backdrop of, of a pandemic on top of that. Um, and so it's it's great that with us today, uh, we have someone so important to the cause amid this reckoning with the NWSL players uh, and the NWSL Players Association now um, and everything that they're going through. And, and I'm so excited for this guest, Lindsay. Yes. Let's welcome in Executive Director of the NWSLPA, Megan Burke. Megan. It is so good to have you here. And first and foremost, let's find out where you are and what what exactly you are doing at the moment. Yes. Well, first of all, Lindsay, MJ, thank you so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be with you. And I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina, which is I jokingly call the world headquarters for NWSL Players Association. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just me. Um I'm thrilled later on, we might get into, uh, we're bringing on another full-time employee in the new year, which I'm thrilled about, a, a soon-to-be former player, Sydney Mira Montez, um, recently retired from okay. Kansas City. So oh, we're doubling okay. in size. But yes, I'm based here in Asheville in the mountains, um, where I've been for about 10 or 
13 years somewhere. You could make on. your headquarters at the Biltmore. Yes, right? I could. I could. But <laughs> Wherever, <laughs> really. I like my Peloton and kegerator we have in our little firm lobby. So I'm happy here. Yeah. The Peloton <laughs> is a true gem for, right. for sure. I mean, let's get right into it, Megan, because there's so much to unpack. You have had quite the year. A lot, an army of one, if you will, in this sense. Um, And so I want to talk about the collective bargaining uh, agreement uh, that is trying to really the inception of that CBA for the NWSL can quickly, briefly, for those who don't know, can you tell us what a CBA would really fall under and how much this would impact um, the players? Thanks for the question. So CBA is short for collective bargaining agreement. It's basically a contract between the union that represents a group of athletes and their employer, the league. Um, We hear talk of a CBA in Major League Baseball right now. The U.S. Women's National Team CBA is expiring at the end of the year. But that's basically what it refers to as a contract. And um, it's going to, in my mind, be a paradigm shift for NWSL. It is just, you know, we're, I'm sure, going to talk a lot about what's happened in the past year. But in, in my mind, the CBA is kind of the most critical piece of the puzzle to transforming our league and to players taking their power back. Wow. What Can you talk about why such a paradigm shift you think will happen? Yeah. So we're heading into the 10th season of NWSL. I'm sure you guys know that mm-hmm. there were two predecessor women's pro leagues, WSA and WPS. Um, and neither of those leagues survived long enough for the a players union that was in effect to negotiate a contract. And so the first, first point to make is that the fact that we're negotiating the CBA, um, I think is a sign of strength for NWSL. Yeah. Um, you know, in this 10th season, the board of governors that created the league from its inception have unilaterally created all of the rules that comprise the league and they've written the contracts, you know, without um, players negotiating them They're It's a standard template that each player signs. Um, and then some of the rules that operate in the background, none of those have been bargained over or negotiated over by the players. They're unilaterally established, which maybe worked for the first, you know, handful of years in the league, but we're now um, entering as we enter the 10th season um, players need to be literally have a seat at the table in what this league is going to look like into the future. And so, you know, a few things that I'm sure you've heard kind of mentioned as broad based topics that would be addressed in a CBA are things like minimum salaries, um, free agency, the ability of players to have more autonomy and control over their careers, um, medical standards, minimum staffing requirements, um, surfaces and stadiums, like, for example, not playing on a playing professional soccer on a minor league baseball stadium. Um, we anticipate that changing. You've seen Kansas City and uh, OL Reign find new game venues for 2022. And that is not unrelated to the CBA negotiation. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. But the gist is that we want to professionalize the standards in NWSL and empower players to take back some control over their careers. I was listening to something that you had said about when you were a rookie and watching your heroes, right, really fight for what you guys would be needing years down the road. And that really struck me. And I was curious if you could give us some of the context as to what you have seen during your journey as a player and up until now and and why that's just so important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm a former player. Um, I played in WSA and WPS and then wherever I could latch on in between over in England and and pre-professional leagues in between that. And one of the legacies, uh, one of the proud legacies of our sport is that Players have always led the, the transformation. Players have always, always been at the forefront of change. 
it's not something that's been handed down by the Federation or handed down by a league. It has been players demanding better and more, um, not only for themselves, but the second point I want to make is that it's often players demanding better for the next generation. A lot of what players are fighting for now, hopefully they see an immediate impact on their careers, but a lot of what they're going to, they're fighting for and are going to change they themselves may not get to see the benefits of that. They're leaving the game better than they came into it, um, which is something that I think has been passed down through the generations in our sport. You know, and I was a rookie. I was um, 22. I'd just come into the WSA. You know, a lot of rookies, and I hope some rookies are listening who just got drafted over the weekend because, like, no one tells you that just because you're drafted doesn't mean you made the team. You know, there's all these pieces right. to becoming a pro that's like, when you're a rookie, yeah. it's head spinning. You're like, oh, wait, what? Like, there's no... Because our sport, uh, our league rather, has been relatively young, there's not the same systems in place that like NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball have where you get onboarded. You get like a rookie 101. Like what are the basic things I need to know, Um, which is something we're working to change. Um, But so I came into preseason in 2003 with the Carolina Courage. And right away there was like talk of is the league going to make it through the season and you know, here you come from a Division One soccer background with the best facilities and all the support and Title IX behind you, and you don't realize there's no Title IX in pro sports. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, the standards are lower than they were in college. What what happened? I had this vision of what this was going to be like in the pros. Yeah. And then you look and you see Julie Foudy and Carla Overbeck and Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly fighting not for themselves, but for us who are going to be inheriting what was left behind. And that that really... Um, left a mark for me at a, at a pretty young age and, and taught me something um, I guess I needed to learn, which was um, the, the responsibility we have as players to each other, not just to our own careers, but to the people that are coming up behind us. What is that juxtaposition like, right? Like you have this one thing sort of envisioned in your mind. And I think it, 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 it's also that way in terms of perception for the fans or for people who are just starting to follow the sport, right? You assume that these professional athletes are living a life that's sort of tantamount to, to that title, right? And the reality is very stark and very different, Megan. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, well, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, what I just said, that there's no Title IX in, in pro sports. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen the U.S. women fight for equal pay. Um, like if that were an NCAA issue, that would have been resolved decades ago. Um, not to say right. there aren't still disparities in the NCAA, NCAA mm-hmm. but we can get into that another day, I guess. Um, <laughs> right. You know, but that that's the thing that I think NWSL, I feel like, will have really established itself as truly the world's best league when the standards you experience as a pro in NWSL are better than they are in Division One college soccer. Um, and that's, I think, something that we as a PA can help these rookies you know, understand when they come into the league is that part of your obligation as a pro is to fight for things. You know, it's not given to you. Everything that we've totally. gotten as players is because we fought for it. That's such an interesting concept. And that makes me think too about our industry because MJ and I have talked about that too. It's like, it's almost, I love that it's so at the forefront of what you're doing because in our industry, I would even say it's sort of taboo, right? Like you, to me, like example, MJ is a woman that I I met her this past summer when we started working on this show during the Olympics and right out of the gate, you were talking a lot, MJ, about like, you know, pushing it forward. And because of these issues that we're talking about, it was like, okay, that was very clear and that's amazing. But I also think that's just very motivating because 
in a lot of industries, I think that 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 is very important still. Megan, you've talked before about sort of like three tent poles, right? When you're thinking of the collective bargaining agreement and what you want to see and what you want to make sure is just a base level, which is player safety, fair contracts and living wages with which I don't think anybody would associate with being a professional athlete, right? And that gets me to the no more side hustles campaign because Lindsay, and I started to mention this mm-hmm. to Lindsay earlier, our whole world is a side hustle, right? Like it's like we're doing, we have our jobs and then we're doing a podcast and we're doing this and it's all things that we enjoy for sure. But it's different when you literally have to hustle to pay your rent, to pay your mortgage, to feed your kids, to pay your car note. And to think that professional athletes are in this space, women that we look up to, that we admire, it, it's, I think it's mind blowing to a lot of people. But I think if we are somewhat in the industry, you're like, sadly, it's the reality, but it definitely shouldn't be. That's right. I mean, I think the No More Side Hustles campaign, we see, you know, as professional soccer players, an opportunity to use our platforms to talk about this issue, but it's not confined to our group of players, right? Um, right. It's mm-hmm. a reflection of kind of the moment we're in as a country. Teachers shouldn't have, be having to wait tables mm-hmm. on a Friday night after. I mean, I can tell you, I have a, a first grader, it, just my kid alone. I know how hard teachers work Monday through Friday, right? <laughs> um, and so, I, I mean, it's not just, I've also, you know, prior to being in this role, I've been a criminal defense and civil rights attorney here in North Carolina for 10 plus years and have represented a ton of hardworking poor people. Um, you know, it's unbelievable that if they get into a jam or something happens, they can't afford an attorney and yet they're working three and right. four jobs. Right. So it's, it's not just the no more side hustles campaign. I mean, I guess my, my secret hope had been that it would take off and become something that, you know, other working people could use to draw attention um, to what they're doing. And that's part of the reason we affiliated with the AFL CIO, because it felt important to tell a new story about um, what our athletes are doing um, to make it in soccer, it's, it's more than just the, you know, the pregame fits and the Instagram posts and that sort of thing. It's a lot of hustling. It's a lot of hard work and it's gritty. Um, you know, our players are, I think the flip side of it is that they have a lot of perspective and feel a lot of solidarity with other working people, but it felt important for us to tell a new story that our NWSL athletes are working people and experiencing the same issues that women in the workplace experience the world over. How does that work into and with the net fund? Great question. So um, that, you know, the idea for supporttheplayers.net, which is our national emergency trust, it's a 501c3 emergency fund for players. That idea came into being um, when we started hearing stories from players about, you know, we were reaching out to players, say, hey, we're launching this No More Side Hustles campaign. Tell us your story. We want to hear what you've done, the jobs you've worked to try to make it. And, And then naturally, when you talk to people about why do they pick up a second, third or fourth job? It's because they had some kind of expense they couldn't meet. Um, I, you know, one of the things that just, it's, it's heartbreaking, but also true, is how many players we've talked to who lost a parent while they were playing and couldn't afford the plate saying it back, back home, right? Like, that's not something we're going to necessarily be able to address in a CBA or, but it's just, you know, you, you hear that and you're like, one thing that we know is true among players is that players are there for each other. I can't tell you how many times, and, and because they've done it quietly, I'm not inclined to name names, but someone who is in a better financial position because of the career they've had, has just quietly done something to help another play out, like buy a plane ticket back home or buy dinner or help out with something. Um, and so we wanted to systematize that so that it's accessible to all players. Um, and so the net was created kind of out of, out of a necessity, out of a need that we were hearing about with the No More Side Hustles campaign. 
Um, and it's something that we feel, I mean, I think it's being really well received and it's going to be there for players. It sends a message to players that we've got your back, you know, no matter what situation you find yourself in, um, we'll be here for you. You know, what's interesting is you, you talk about this, this fund and helping players. And I think for some people, um, the, the word living wage can somewhat be subjective, but there are very concrete and objective numbers here to back this up. Like the minimum salary right now is $22,000. I can't think of a single place in this country where you can live off of that as an individual, let alone if you have a family or you have children or dependents or a loved one that you're caring for, you know, and it's as a professional athlete, these numbers get blasted out there, right? Like we have autonomy in that sense. We're like, we know how much we make and, and how we can do that. But as someone who's a public figure, as you are, and you're a professional athlete, these things are out there and yet they still get ignored, how can this become more visible? How can these disparities outside of the work that you're already doing, Megan, and that the players themselves are already doing really come to the forefront? We got to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things that I think we're going to see change about um, work culture is more transparency around wages. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think you don't know, like, for example, Lily Ledbetter, who was the woman who was, um, over a long period of time, the Ledbetter Act was introduced as a result of her story, but the gist is she was underpaid um, for a very long time and found out what men in her position were making. And then she realized that she was underpaid. She didn't know she was underpaid until she found out what until men she were knew. making, right? right? Um, and so we, we need to be more transparent about it. Um, you know, a living wage is different than a minimum wage even is right. one thing, right? Living wage is can you actually pay all your bills, Um and even if we're successful in doubling wages in NWSL, because you, as you point out, the minimum salary is twenty-two grand a year. In some cities, that's still not living wage, um, right? Of so, course not. <laughs> yeah, so that's really Impossible. what we're fighting for. Is that and and for us as professional athletes, you know, a key piece of this, and I think you can tie this to, to other industries, is that we want our athletes, who really are the best soccer players in the world, I'll fight anyone on it, um, if they can singularly <laughs> focus on being that, if they can singularly focus on training, nutrition, sleep, uh, lifting, strength and conditioning, imagine what the product's going to look like on the field, right? Um, you look at NFL and what NBA, a concept, right? If they can singularly focus on what they do, like how, how awesome, I mean, the soccer is already off the chain. And now like, imagine when every yeah. single player top to bottom can focus just on their career, it's going to improve the league itself. So you hear NFL players, especially, I was talking to a second year player this past week for the Buffalo Bills. And he was saying, you know, um, I said, what, is it really as much fun as you thought it would be to play in the NFL? And he said, oh, absolutely. And he said, but the one thing that's different is people don't tell you about the business side. Mm. And he said, there's yep. so much that it's what you alluded to earlier, Megan. It's like, there's so much that goes along with, with it, right? That there's so much that pulls you away, but in the NFL, as we all know, they have people designated at every turn, at every step to let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. Right. They have mental coaches that are now assigned to every team and they can call themselves mental coaches or therapists. They, they make that decision based on the player that they're dealing with. Um, and it, so it is amazing to think about what, what they have versus what needs to be achieved um, for sure. Where are we now with the negotiations? Yeah, that's, I was actually, that's a great question. I was just thinking that like, these are the ways, you know, the CBA is how we address some of these things. So we yeah. did a kind of end of year update to our players. We, we had really hoped to be done by the end of the year. Um, the analogy I've used is that we're in stoppage time, 
in this negotiation. We've had <laughs> 34 right. bargaining sessions with NWSL since March over a nine month span. I can't, I can't believe the number myself. I, I like have to pinch myself and be like, is this accurate? And I do the calculator again and I'm like, yep, that's accurate. We've spent about 250 hours, more than 250 hours Wow! at the bargaining table, just at the bargaining table, not including meetings, drafting, debriefs, player updates, literally just being in bargaining with NWSL. Um, that's a lot <laughs> of time. Yeah. Uh, it's a first contract. So you absolutely expect um, that it's going to take a lot longer than, uh, you know, a, a renegotiated contract um, would take. But we really feel like we're we're in the stoppage time of this negotiation and expect that um, this deal needs to get done in the new year. Is that something that owners are at the table for? Are they involved? So we've had a we've seen um, you know post the article that ran September 30th when the commissioner and general counsel resigned. Uh, club representatives came to the bargaining table for the first time in that first week of October, and it really did change the dynamic of the negotiation. I feel like we were able to make some rapid progress on some critical issues pretty quickly because you know it's 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 really when you think of a contract between a league and a union it's really a three-party contract. It's the league, it's the players, and it's the clubs. The league and the clubs aren't always going to have the same perspective in this negotiation. Right. And so it's important that clubs are at the table because there's a, they're the ones interacting with players every day, right? Like setting the conditions of their employment. And so um, we made some really good progress. We kind of got stuck on a few things. We're picking it up again. And so I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that we can get this thing done in the new year. Okay, I'm just I'm trying to absorb <laughs> this information, <laughs> Megan, because October of this year is when the ownership came to the. I Correct. can't even wrap my mind around that because you've been at yeah. this for so long at this point. Lindsay and I cover the NFL pretty heavily, and I, for example, have a whole month that's blocked off just for owners' meetings, for CBA negotiations, for free agency, and it's uh, we tend to think that that's the norm, but it's 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 not across the board. So that actually. Blows my. I'm glad we're yeah. here. I am too. Make, I'm glad you know, we're here, but it does. Progress, but I mean, wow. yeah, we. That's part of the reason as players, we are pretty frustrated um, that we felt like Check we lost. Course. You know, I don't want to say we lost six months because we did get a lot of good things done. But um, you know, with the goal being to get this done by the end of the year, I don't feel that the first six months positioned us to be able to do that. Um, you know, and now that we've got owners at the table, or rather club right. representatives, I should say, I feel like you know that allows us to hopefully position this negotiation to get done sooner, but there was a lot of time lost. I mean, um, and we're still paying for that. And it is frustrating the players. It, it, frankly, it was insulting the players who we have a 33 player bargaining committee, um, you know, on top of, we'll talk about no more side hustles, you know, no negotiating the CBA is basically an unpaid side hustle. Um, you know, we have players who are trying to play a season and then you see what happened in NWSL. It was unprecedented. And then on top of that, they spend 250 hours negotiating a contract. So um, you know, we do feel that it the, the pace needs to pick up so that it can get done in early January. What do you make of the lack of a CBA and the abuse that's been exposed? The, the you know, the, what we've seen happen over the past several months, five coaches, right? Five male coaches within the NWSL, um, you know, being exposed. Yeah. I mean, I think, the way that the CBA relates to those stories that you heard is that there's a systemic power imbalance. You know, these abusive coaches, um, the tools that they were able to use among the other things that they did, but to keep these players to hold their rights hostage 
um, and to exert power over them is through the way the whole league, the rules have been structured. Players have no free agency. They have no ability to get out of a situation. They can get traded on a, on a moment's notice. I, you know, I got calls, I was literally at a CBA negotiation and on a Wednesday morning got calls that um, there were four players involved in a trade and they had to be on a plane at 7am the next morning. And I was talking to them at like 10am on Wednesday and here they got a a 7am flight on Thursday. And like one player, you know, had two little boys, she had to get home. Uh, Another player had lived in that city for five or six years. And so, you know, your life can be uprooted at a, at a moment's notice. Um, And on top of that, we know what the wages are. So, um, you know, we are looking, the free agency is absolutely just to be really direct about it. The key issue for players to take back some of that power, um, to prevent, um, you know, these coaches from exerting that kind of power and influence over their careers. I mean, obviously there are other things that need to be done to root out. I mean, these are just the things they did were absolutely unforgivable. And there are other tools, like for example, launch this, launch this investigation, Um, The anti-harassment policy that was adopted earlier this year was one of the reasons why you were able to root out these five coaches throughout the course of the season. So there are other things that need to happen. But as far as the CBA is concerned, free agency is the key. Intense. And there's been so many things, right? It's it's never just a one layered situation. There's there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of trauma, as Lindsay mentioned. And um, I think the visibility um, and the amplification of these stories are really important. That gets me to the Black Women's Player mm-hmm. Collective, who you work with very mm-hmm. closely. And that's a whole other layer of this because you have these Black players coming in and dealing with a whole other uh, layer of systemic issues and racism and undertones and microaggressions on a daily basis. Um, and they're doing so much wonderful work there for the Black players in the league and the next generations, like you've mentioned. And I know that they've partnered with Voice and Sport to sort of engage in that mentorship. Um how much have you been able to work and speak with the Black Women's Player Collective and, and how are those discussions going as well? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I think what we can learn from what, what was revealed in the 2021 season is listen to Black women because Black women were speaking yeah. about these coaches and these issues long before these issues came to light this season. Um, and it's the Black Women's Players Collective and the Black players who first showed um, what solid, the power of solidarity uh, during the summer of 2020 at the Challenge Cup, um, when they took it upon themselves to start drawing attention to um, police abuse and misconduct and the death of uh, Black men and women at the hands of police um, and using their platforms to speak about racism and speak out against it. Um, you know, I think that's partly been the impetus for the PA to then have space to draw attention to some of the issues um, around abuse in our league in 2021 and through launch the no more side hustle or sorry, no more silence messaging off the heels of the no more side hustles campaign. Um, the black women's players collective is a nonprofit organization whose mission is I think broader and bigger than kind of the, the lane that the PA is in as a labor union in NWSL. And so NWSL players association um, represents every player in NWSL, uh, including the members of the black women's players collective. And so we worked closely with BWPC um, in introducing the anti-harassment policy that was adopted that eventually led to five coaches being separated from employment this season. Um, I'm thrilled that the federation allocation system is no more, meaning um, there's none of this like 2PA thing in NWSL. So, you know, I texted Midge when I got her dues checkoff. I was like, I'm so stoked that we're just like under one PA now. Um, You know, I, I just, 
they've done incredible work as the as a nonprofit organization with an advocacy mission. Um, and there is an open line of communication there, but I also am mindful of not trying to make it sound like we're two separate things because um, the BWPC leadership and players are an integral part of what we're doing as a PA. Strength in numbers, no question, and the more support that everyone can give one another, it's, it's is how you continue to f- the fight. Um, I think that's a perfect segue, Lindsay, to get us to power of the pack, which is yes. literally what this is, right? <laughs> so it is the power of the pack for sure. It's the wolf pack, um, Megan. So this this what we love to do here is the power of the pack and ask our guests if there's one example, and oftentimes there are many, but if you could hone in on one strong woman who has influenced you during the course of your life or your career, whatever it is. Um, Oh gosh, the list is long. You know, it's funny. I was was like, gosh, it is really hard. Really and truly it's hard to pick one, but I think I'd be remiss not to like, I think it's my wife, um, Jasmine. She, yeah, yeah. no, seriously. So Jasmine is running for Congress uh, here in Western North Carolina. Uh, as an out candidate. And, and I was thinking about, you know, the, I I think one of the questions you're going to ask is like, what's the best advice you've ever ever gotten? And I was thinking of my soccer career and it was in my final year of playing, um, you know, Jasmine was like, we were talking about just, I was in a tough spot as a player and she basically got me to bet on myself. And part of betting on myself was being willing to walk away, um, which is super scary and super, it's hard to do <laughs> um, because what happens when you walk away and then, and then you're done or like they don't come after you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's a real possibility. You're like, wait, you're but you were supposed like, to come back and really come make me another offer. Right. Um, <laughs> and that was the best advice I think professionally that I'd ever gotten because it really did. It le- it led to so many other opportunities um, and really empowering me to have much more autonomy and control over my professional life. So you bet on yourself by walking away from the sport that you had played for so long. Is it, that correct? It was a little more nuanced and complicated than that. And I'm sure I could bore you to death with the details. <laughs> always because, is. Right? It's like, yeah, it, it was just is. this willingness to like, not just take an offer, or just take something because it's the offer you got, you know, and like be willing to know that, know your worth. And if you're not getting your worth, be willing to walk away because your worth is worth more than what they're giving you. So yeah. And no question. Yeah. And they may not be willing to do it, but it, it, it is scary, that little piece. And I, I think part of the fear is like, well, great. Now what? Now what do I do? <laughs> but also scary, yeah. the ouch, they didn't think I was worth what I know my value is. But there's also a lot of power in knowing that. Right. So, so either way, even if it hurts, you still win yeah. in the end. Yeah. Now you know better. That's right. You do. You do. And that breeds confidence. And that's awesome. That's an awesome story. Well, so wait, to that end then, so that was that was the person, Jasmine's the person, you kind of and touched advice. on advice. Yeah, I did, right? yeah. <laughs> so you said best advice. What was the worst advice that you've ever been given? Oh my gosh. I, I probably Wait, had a long honest. list there too, um, which <laughs> is probably better down. told so we. like over drinks or something. Um, but I feel like definitely the worst advice and thinking about the draft this weekend and then to be sell is that there's only one way to do something and that there's only one trajectory in your career too. Like, you know, so, I mean, I was drafted out of college and so that sets you on this trajectory that you think there's like this, then this, then that. Um, and that's absolutely not how it goes. And in fact, um, I think the athletes in NWSL who've been in the, in the league for the longest, you know, for nine years, who've had these illustrious, illustrious careers, what they have is actually like a lot of grit 
and a, and a scrappiness to them. It's not necessarily the like polished, like, you know, this was easy for you at every step along the way. It's often the athletes who had to take a creative approach to their career or find an end run around something or get into the league a different way. And here they are nine years later. Um, you know, I think of like Angela Salem who's probably one of the most respected players in the game as she's retiring. Um, I met Ange when she was a developmental player for sky blue in 2010 and she came from Francis Marion. I think it's a D2 school. It was a small school. I mean, you look, you think about like her career and it's like, she's a great example. Um, you know, Bethany Balser, like, I think she was an NIA, uh, NAIA or D2. I can't remember which school she went to, but you know, some of the, um, I think some of the athletes that we see in NWSL with um, the most illustrious kind of longest lasting careers have come into it in a very different, unconventional kind of way. I've been thinking a lot about expectations and it's just come up for me a lot over the past few days in conversations I'm having with people that are younger in our business and things. But I really think I have thought of, I've thought a lot about this and I've thought there are, I can mark times in high school, times in college, times in my early career, literally phrases that people have said to me that I have carried with me, right? Over like expectations that they had that I felt like I had to sort of okay, carry along. And I didn't realize I carried that along. And I think it's sort of, you know, parallel to what you're saying about the path, because if there's one thing that I wish I had noticed early on, it was that it was like expectations. Sure. Maybe they can motivate you, but they definitely are just that they're poof. It's what someone else thinks, right? Well, because I think a lot of people, just because the way it happened for you was one way, doesn't mean it's going to be that way for everybody else. And you spoke earlier, Megan, about the players not just doing it for themselves, they probably won't even see the fruits of their labor. This is for the next generation. So it, it, it along those parallel lines, you know, for women in the sports industry on our side, on the media side, there's always this expectation that you should have to go through the same hardships that everybody before you did. And it's like, well, isn't that the whole point of what we're doing now? So that it's that much easier for the next set and the next set after them and the next set after them. And listen, the yeah. road is long and the, the right. hill is it's still very <laughs> steep. It is. But we're hopefully throwing down a rope for the next person to to get up just a little bit easier. So I I love that that was that was the advice um, and that That's was the path. Well the path is yeah. not linear. There's loops and there's tunnels yeah. and there's side streets and there's dead ends. <laughs> and ultimately, you got to figure out how to get out of it. A lot of times, there's I think paranoia about am I doing this right? But I think connection can help push that out. Because if you're talking about yes. it, and Megan, that's something you said mm -hmm. from the beginning of this conversation. If you're being transparent about what's not right, about wage disparity, whatever it is, and especially as women, if we are there doing that, supporting one another and saying like, literally, I have your back. That's what I'm so blown away from in this conversation with you. It's like, you guys, even though it is such a fight with NWSL and what you're trying to accomplish, you are doing just that. Like, what a great blueprint for how to get it done and how to fight the fight. Well, I mean, massive credit to our players. You know, I just, uh, the, I have the privilege of getting to know them just on a personal level in this role. And that's yeah. one of the things that's really remarkable to a player is just how much character they have and integrity, you know, the way they see these things and think about these things. I mean, there's a lot of genuine love and concern um, from player to player. And look, we're all different. You know, everyone has had their own different life experiences. And I think this PA mm -hmm. has created space for people to be different um, and to be themselves and be authentic, but also show solidarity and love for one another um, in a time of need. So I'm, I'm deeply proud of our players. Megan, where can people go to support 
uh, the NWSL, the players, the player association and, and everything that you're fighting. Thank for you right for now. the question. So first of all, support the players.net um, is where you can donate to support the national emergency trust. Every dollar is going into players pockets um, in a time of need. And you can also go to no more side hustles.com. Um, we've still got hey. no more side hustles swag, you know, for sale there. Uh, and it'll, that supports the swag. players association. Yeah. Who doesn't? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Megan Burke, incredible work, not over, far from over, but what you've accomplished together as a unit so far is is really incredible. Uh, so we support you and, and we're rooting and fighting with you as well. Thank you for that. Really yeah, appreciate Megan, it. Megan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Don't forget to rate and review On Her Turf on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow On Her Turf on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Plus, do not forget you can get the latest news in women's sports on our blog, NBCSports.com slash on her turf. Special thanks to everyone involved in this NBC Sports and Blue Wire partnership. Until next time.